Unity and Rugged Individualism, a conversation with Representative Jeremy Faison, the new House Republican Caucus Chairman. Welcome to Grand Divisions. This is the week of September 2nd. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. We don't have much news of the week this week because we had to record this podcast early due to some logistical issues with our equipment here. Uh, for other recording purposes. So we're going to cut straight to the chase, uh, unless you think there's anything worth uh, briefly mentioning, Natalie. No, we're going to hear from Jeremy Faison. He uh, started at the bottom of the session, and now he's here, the new House Republican Caucus chairman. So we're talking to him, and we're going to probably skip the rest of the news this week. We recorded this on Tuesday, love last week, from yep. where you're listening to now. So n- no no references to, to time that I think would affect anything, but just keep that in mind. Uh, and a brief uh, worthwhile note to highlight, Faison tries to turn the tables on me at one point in the middle of the interview, so pay attention for that. It gets a little interesting. Yeah, he puts Joel on the spot. This week on the podcast, we have the brand new House Republican Caucus Chairman, Representative Jeremy Faison. Thanks for coming on today. Natalie, thank you. It's an honor to finally be here. I thought I'd never get invited. We thought you'd never come on, but here you are. <laughs> so y'all take it easy on me. It's my first time. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, so we wanted to ask you, let's go back a little bit of uh, how you got into running for caucus chairman. I mean, it was something that I imagine maybe a, a year ago you you might have eyed, but um, you know, six, seven months ago, uh, when Glenn Cassidy takes over, it probably isn't something that y- you think is possible at that point. So kind of take us through the, the mindset of how you ended up where you decided to run for the race? It's a great question. So five years ago, I really wanted to be in leadership. And I ran for leadership against Kevin Brooks, the bishop from Cleveland, Tennessee. He was the assistant majority leader, and I really thought I had a shot at it. And it was embarrassing. I don't know. I don't think either one of y'all were here then. Mm-mm. But, uh, I mean, he just beat the devil out of me. It was embarrassing. And uh, I might have had like 25 votes, and he had like 40-something votes. I mean, that's more votes than some people get when they run. Oh, yeah. Well, anyway, it was embarrassing. (laughs) So I I think I had 27, and he had right at 30-something. But the the, the balance, back then we had 69 or 70 members. But anyway, so I was like, gosh, that that hurt. And it just took the wind out of my sails. But then Beth ended up putting me as chair of GovOps. Beth Harwell, of course. I'm sorry, Speaker Harwell. She put me as chair of GovOps. And uh, I really found myself in that position. We turned that, that up until that point, historically, that committee was kind of a rubber stamp, did nothing. We turned into a, uh, a committee that was respected through all the members. We worked together, bipartisan effort. We, we started doing some good stuff for Tennessee. But I've always looked at leadership, the speaker, the majority leader, caucus chairs, thinking, you know, they're the ones who really are – carry the most weight in making things happen. And I've, I've wanted to be a part of it. And um, obviously last year there was no room for me to run. Speaker Castle was going to have his people who he wanted in position. And so there was no wary for me to go. And, and the people, quite frankly, that were Speaker Sexton now, who was the caucus chair, he was going to do a good job. There was no reason to, to go up against that. him. 
But this year, as time progressed, and I, I, I'll tell you, this, it's, it's kind of neat, but if, if you remember the day that we voted on a no confidence for Speaker Cassida, mm-hmm. when I walked out of the room that we were voting in at that hotel, the manager said, I need you to go this way. He was going to send representatives to six different exits because the media was swarming and there was protesters. Everybody was kind of going crazy around there. And so he was going to send two or three this way and two or three that way, and there's going to different six different exits is what they told us. He said, I need you to go out this way and go through the kitchen. There's an exit out the back. And when I got up there, there was Speaker Cassida. And I had just kind of lowered the boom on this guy, and it was awkward for a minute. And I just started to to walk around. He's like, hold on, guys. As I was with Representative Gary Hicks, and he said, there's an immense amount of protesters out there. Would y'all shield me from the protesters? I'm like, absolutely. Cassidy asked you this. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and even though we disagreed on each other, I, he'd been beat up enough. And it's almost like God just flooded my heart with compassion for that guy. And so I said, I will put you in that car and nobody will touch you. I don't know what's going on the other side of this door, but I won't let anybody touch you. I'll put you in your car. And we walked out. And as I put him in his car, I looked around. And I was, holy smokes, there's cameras. There's, I mean, I, how did they know to come to that door? But it was crazy. And as I walked away, there was a feeling in my heart that you're fixing to get in leadership. You need to be a part of showing Tennessee who we are and not who we aren't. And from that moment forward, I started positioning myself and talking to my colleagues that I'm interested in getting leadership. Obviously, we know that Cameron Sexton was interested. And that up until then, I thought Cameron had to step down as caucus chair Mm -hmm. to run for speaker. So I started making phone calls in May um, that I'm interested in this position because Cameron's going to have to step down. Which is a significant portion ahead of other people, I imagine. because I was probably the first person to talk about it. Well, I found out by the time we get into June, I realized, you know what? Cameron called and said, Jeremy, I don't have to step down. I'm Mm going to stay as caucus chair if I don't don't win. And so I was like, all right, I'll just – I'm going to bow out and keep my mouth shut. So I never brought it up again until the day he won. And when he became our speaker, I immediately went to William Lambert and said, put my name on the list, I'm running. And before we left the old Supreme Court chamber, that was back in July, I had already told 15 people that I'm in. So uh, a, a year ago, you would have never saw this happen, but this is America, and only in America can you go all the way from the very bottom and end up being in the top tiers of leadership, and uh, it's just the beauty of our country. And can you can you give us a little bit of background about what you're talking about with being at the bottom? So for people who maybe don't know the backstory, um, of course, they know that you were outspoken this session about uh, how Glenn Castor was leading the House, not not supportive of, of what he was doing. But can you walk us through like how, how you lost your committee chairmanship and, and why Glenn Castor wasn't a fan of Jeremy Faison? What, what happened there? So last year, um, I realized it was going to be between him and Curtis. And I called Glenn and told him some things I'd be interested in if he was speaker. And we just – it didn't work. When we spoke, I could tell he wasn't really interested in, in, in the positions that I'd be interested in. And and, and I was just thinking to myself, the way he's going to lead. And he had said to me on the House floor that he was going to rule with an iron fist. And that's just – that's not how our government set up. He said my, that when? To me, last year. Wow. During session? Uh, uh, no, two years ago when he was thinking about running for speaker because we knew Beth Harwell was getting out. Mm-hmm. 
And I remember thinking, he's going to need somebody like me who believes in freedom. And it's just just to kind of counterbalance him. Because I felt mm-hmm. Glenn is going to win. He's going to be the front runner. I felt like he's going to win. But I could tell early on that this wasn't him and I. We were going to have issues. And so I got on board with um, Curtis Johnson, who's a great guy. And I openly supported Curtis Johnson. And, and this is politics around here, right? So I, I, I did my best to make sure Curtis had a shot. And uh, at the end of the day, Curtis didn't find favor with the caucus. Mm-hmm. Glenn found favor with the caucus. And for several of us that were involved in the race who didn't keep our mouth shut, I, I think you see that goes on in politics everywhere. You you didn't support the right horse. You get added and, and to a list. You, right. I was added to a list. And so he, he took me off a committee with whatever. That, it's politics. You know, I, I to me, I was like, whatever. We're fine. Put me on the... I, I can still work hard. My people don't even – people at home don't really get the whole chairmanship sure. and committee. A few people, you, your politicos, they get it. But the average constituent home, they, they, they don't get the inner work. You're still up there serving in their yeah. mind. You know, it's funny. This week at, at home, going to the grocery store, to the bank or my church, people are like, uh, congratulations, Jeremy. Not sure what you're doing, but congratulations. <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that's just the innocence of, of sure. our people. That, sure. and, and I've had a that's dozen, a hundred people say, now tell me exactly again, what did you just do? You know, so that, that's the people at home don't care. So I, I, I was fine. But then as I watched the style of leadership, man, that style of leadership is the antithesis of who we are and who we are in America. So I, I began to express some concerns. And so it just further pushed the difference between he and I. And, I, and let me stop, by the way. Glenn is, is a friend of mine, and, and unfortunately this happened this way. And he has made a huge positive de, de, deposit in Tennessee. And there's a lot of members who have really become great members. And he was the one who helped him get elected. So I, 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 even though he and I disagreed on the leadership style and the things that he should do, I want to just stop and say he did some great stuff. Well, and even in the midst of all this controversy, a lot of stuff doesn't happen without Glenn Cassidy's presence. Chiefly, one could say the the vouchers bill, right? If he's not Speaker of the House, the, the, you may question whether that bill passes. It would have never happened. Yeah, correct. And and so so let's let's move on from from that chapter and and talk about what's it going to be like under a Jeremy Faison and and Cameron Sexton leadership team, along with William Lamberth. Um, you. You know, obviously, there. Uh, uh, William Lamberth told us last week the last few months had been tumultuous. Um, how do you move on from there and and not keep a list, or will there be a list under this new administration? So, for me, Joel, there will never be any list. What you're going to see from me is a caucus chair who promotes rugged individualism, who pr- doesn't just promote my caucus as a whole, but I'm going to do everything I can to promote each individual member. You're going to see a caucus chair that is is making sure I'm constantly pushing my members out front to make sure their people at home know that they're part of the solutions to the problems that we're facing. That, that, that I think that's the difference you're going to see in me and what maybe historically has happened. I'm all about our caucus. But if you follow me on social media, you'll see that I hashtag free range kids. I have five kids. And if you've ever seen it, I mean, we live we live out in the country. And my boys can skin a buck. They can run a trot line, right? I mean, that, that's just who we are. And we jump off a huge cliffs into the lake. And so people, I've kind of coined this phrase, free-range children. I'm going to promote free-range legislators. You know, <laughs> I want these guys and these ladies to be free to be who they are. And you know why? 
Because those people at home elected them because they like them to speak for them, not speak for the governor, not speak for the speaker, but speak for them at home. But how do you not have the chamber devolve into chaos, right? So I've covered the legislature since 2016, and I can think a number of times of instances where the Speaker of the House, namely uh, Beth Harwell, wasn't able to sort of wrangle her members to keep them happy. And it leads to just this chaos at times, including, remember... uh, uh, there was that that, that uh, shutdown of the budget at one point uh, that uh, led to the creation of this so-called porch caucus. How do you have that not happen by having an empowerment of individuals? Joe, we're just going to completely disagree with each other on here. I, 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 <laughs> to me, I, I, listen, the fighting's a good thing. And being passionate about who you are, what is wrong with that? I, I'm not this saying whole, there is anything oh, okay. wrong with that. <laughs> this whole notion that we just all have to be civil with each other is, is just, just is wrong. Sure. You, you can't be free to be who you are if you have to constantly worry about what if we get to a little bit of chaos. Here's the deal. The chaos happened. It didn't get stopped. But guess what? We end up passing a really good budget. Sure. People felt like they had buy-in. And I'm telling you, if you allow your legislators to know that they're free to be them— you will get buy-in. You'll get unity. What happens is when it's personality-driven and you look at legislators who have 65,000 people wanting to speak for them say, no, you're going to do this and you're going to do this and we're going to vote like this and this is where you can say, you know what, that's called communism. If you want unity and you want you want really good buy-in from your members, allow them to be their self. And if you're validated, even if you don't get what you want, but you're validated and heard you're going to become a team player. And that that's kind of who I am. Is this ability for members to speak their mind, to, to vote their conscience, is that, you think, the key to prevent what happened to you happening again to someone else this session? Do you think, is that what makes the difference in someone feeling like they're being alienated by the speaker? Or, or what was it that sort of was was causing this uh, pushing of, of you and David Hawk and other people like that um, to to the fringes this, this year. So, Natalie, you cannot look at a grown man or a grown woman who has worked their butt off to get elected and say, you need to get on board with me and do it like this. Well, you can do it, but you see what happens. And no, no offense to the liberals, but that's how the liberals kind of act. There's more of a lockstep mentality on the liberal side. But on the Republican side, you aren't neither one old enough to remember Ronald Reagan, but he preached about rugged individualism. He used that word all the time. That's something that we need to celebrate as who we are in our party, rugged individualism. And 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 I believe that that was one of the things that really frustrated Speaker Cassidy. I mean, let's face it. There were 68 members who had some kind of cool position under mm-hmm. him, but he only had 22 votes at the end mm-hmm. of the day. That that's cause it was personality driven, and he was telling people what to do and how to do it and when to do it. That that's not where Republicans are made up, and and I, I, we're independent minded. So I, I think with me making sure I have their back and defending them against the governor or his people or the speaker and making sure, listen, these people, our members are elected by their ones at home. Let them be who they are and promote that. You're going to see a different feel in Tennessee. So is this why so far uh, since you've been uh, elected, there have been a handful, I think three now, uh, closed door caucus meetings to just kind of allow the caucus to speak freely? I mean, is this that embracing that rugged individualism (laughs) or is this to essentially uh, not look like there is, you know, um, factions within the caucus? That's a great question. Obviously, there's factions in the caucus. So, I mean, we noticed the the second vote was, what, 20, 24, 27, 23. I mean, 
there's three distinct factions if you look at the speakers. There's three, if you will, distinct mm-hmm. factions. It's good. It's fine. That, that's a beautiful part of who we are. What took place last week was an anomaly. We had three meetings that were close to y'all, and it tore me up. I hate it because you, I, y'all know that I'm about a, for more open government than just about any member in my yeah. caucus. Yeah. I'm big time. I'm a huge defender of it. But guys, let's be honest with each other. This has been a tumultuous year, as as Leader Lamberth said. There are some really deep wounds, if you will, from things that have taken place inside our caucus that had nothing to do with how Tennessee was ran or the legislation or policy. And I had members say, I just want to be able to share my feelings without worrying about being on the front page of the Tennessean or without being on WAT. And they feel like they could never just be who they are inside a family discussion if y'all are there. And uh, so we we made the executive decision, you know what, for right now, we're going to hold you off. Now, I'll tell you this. Unless my caucus decides and votes decides that they don't want the media in there, probably 99.9% of our meetings when we get into to session next year are going to be open to you all. But every now and then, we might have to have a family discussion. Who's making those decisions, though? I mean, because last week, we were just effectively told it's close. There's okay. no vote on it. So the first decision was made because I wasn't the first sure. The first caucus meeting right after I was elected. Right. I end up chairing that caucus meeting, but I had nothing, no decision with y'all. Mm-hmm. The one the next morning before session, I made that decision because I had um, members come and say, we want a private discussion. Mm-hmm. And then right after, we still had unfinished business with a different one. So, And I had members saying, we're not done with this. Would you keep it private for us this time? So that I, I that's on my, that's on me. Mm-hmm. And I, I think... You know, it could there could potentially be a scenario where the members just don't ever want us in there. And so what would you do in that case if, if every meeting they're like, no, we would rather be able to speak freely? You know, Natalie, that would have to come as a vote. I would be shocked if my caucus as a whole voted against the press being in there. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I would encourage you to look at some of your colleagues in other states. That's not uncommon for caucuses to not allow oh, the Oh, but I thought Tennessee was the exception. <laughs> we, we're the leaders. AAA bond so, so let me, leaders. Hold on. Listen to me. <laughs> when it's up to me, I'm all for the media being involved with stuff. But also, as caucus chair, I am to carry the banner of what the majority of my caucus wants. And if the majority of my caucus wants that, that's what we're going to do. I wanted to revisit the second closed-door meeting. Um, we were able to report on what was said in that meeting. According to us, um, we have sourced that. Since that, I've heard from some members who are frustrated that that information, which we reported was David Byrd saying he wasn't running for re-election. I'm not asking you to confirm or say anything about that. But I've heard from some say uh, that that has led to a frustration that they would like to see an ethics investigation into potential leaks within the caucus. My question for you is, do you think that members being free, rugged individualists, uh, should be able to talk about what happens behind closed doors? Or is it that the giant group says it's closed, there should never be any discussion? Because, again, how do we know that there isn't an iron fist ruling going on and saying, if you talk, your head's going to get chopped off? So, first of all, I'm not for anybody being punished That for speaking. I will fight for the First Amendment. I'm willing to die for the First Amendment of our Constitution. We appreciate that. Number two, you would hope that there's a gentleman's agreement that when we say what's in the vault today inside of our family discussion stays there. If they don't, that's on them. But but the truth is, Joel, is God forbid they might be in the same situation one day, too. Mm -hmm. And there's a caucus meeting and they're wishing that it could be quiet. 
I'm inclined to think that nobody told you anything. I think that you're just. You think I made it up? I do, and I think you just looked at a member and said, "And said, did this happen?" And they just looked at you, and you're like, "It sure did." That's just what I'm inclined to think. I've watched you, and I know how you act, and I think you just you just pressed in on them, and you got what you wanted, the reaction that you wanted, and you reported on that. I don't think any member said anything to you. Interesting, but that's just Jeremy. That's a good theory, but uh, I can say it's inaccurate. Is it really? Somebody (laughs) told you what happened in that room? I'm I'm not going to say uh, how I got he what I got. He doesn't discuss sources and methods. Uh, you don't. You didn't bug it. I know better than that. Everybody's wondering. Ah, it's like no, nobody's bugging. That's you get in trouble for that. And uh, moving on. <laughs> Listen, to y'all, oh, this is funny. Y'all are turning red, and I'm not the interviewer. Y'all are. That's right. That's right. <laughs> this is fun. Let's keep doing this. Let's go down that line of thinking some more. All right, Natalie's going to the the list of questions. <laughs> get a good one, Natalie. We've already been past 15 minutes. I'm about to let y'all go. <laughs> well, yeah. Let's. Um, Let's let's talk about your car accident. That's on the list here. Yeah. Holy smokes. Well, what? No, before we get to that, um, what's you the f- that what, what's the fate of your efforts on on medical marijuana now that you are in leadership? Do you see this as you know? Uh, are people voting for you irregardless of that, or do you see this as a, a, a now that you have your a leadership position, a platform to push that issue further? You know, that's a great question, Joel. I will always advocate for the sick Tennesseans to be have access to that plant. I don't know that I will necessarily be carrying any bills that are controversial right now, uh, but I will be voting in favor and speaking in favor to my colleagues. I've seen what that plant can do. I've seen the benefit. And more than just me see it, Tennesseans see it. There's not a poll that you can find that at 80% Republican, Democrat alike, don't want the access for sick Tennesseans to be able to use that plant. So the answer is yes, I will always be advocating for it and be behind my colleagues and 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 got the wind in their backs, if you will, pushing this along. And uh, anything like that, as far as when it comes to freedom and less government, I, I, you know, I'm always going to push for less government. The government hadn't got many things right, and they sure haven't got this part right. So, But the long and the short of it, it sounds like you aren't going to be sponsoring a bill next year. I, I probably won't be sponsoring me specifically, sure. but I mean, I'll sign on to bills, and sure, I will sure. be a part of pushing the background and, and making sure that the executive branch, I'll have be- I feel like I'll have better influence with the executive branch. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll be using my influence more behind the scenes to make things like this happen. Of course, the, fir- the first hurdle is going to be getting some kind of medical cannabis legislation passed. But, I mean, in the future, would you keep pushing for it to just become legal across the board? Well, let's just Tennessee? be honest with the whole drug use in America. We need to have a frank conversation. We, we just need to look at it. You know, Einstein said, if you continue to do the same thing over and over and over again, expecting that you're going to get a different result. You're Donald Trump. Oh, no, no. That's called insanity. (laughs) So the notion that we can somehow jail Americans out of drug usage is asinine. Mm -hmm. It's insane. If you're willing to do meth, putting you behind bars is not going to fix your problem. I, I'm a huge advocate of saying maybe if you're just hurting yourself, you don't deserve to be behind bars. You need help. Hmm. You, you you need some some psychological help. You need some mental help. If you're willing to do meth, we know. I mean, the rate of recidivism for somebody who's doing this stuff is 80 percent. It's not working. So I, I think we as Americans need to have an overall conversation of how do we move forward and fix our drug problems because with – the illegalization of drugs, you have this massive cartel situation. You have crime, which is rampant. 
I, I, I don't see what we're getting out of it. So am I, for legalization of of all drugs, no, I wouldn't say that, but I would say what we're doing is not working. We have to have a discussion and get people some help, not just putting them behind bars. That ain't working. So as we look to wrap up, I wanted to um, touch on this committee list. Uh, I, I kind of did just a breakdown to look and see who moved to what committees. Yeah. You are now on uh, finance, gov ops, insurance, calendar, and rules. You were removed from judiciary. Naming and designating, which was really kind of a, a, a backwoods, backwater kind of place that Cassida put people, and local government. Um, my question for you is there, there are some changes. I wouldn't call them large, but... Uh, there's only 10 committees that are the same size. 31 committees are larger by a mem- one, two, three, four members. Uh, one committee was completely eliminated, another one added. Uh, only two or three committees are smaller. W- what was your involvement in the sort of reappropriation of members in this committee uh, process? I had no involvement with that. This is something that Speaker Cameron has already been working on. And uh, I w- the night before our special session, he called and and asked me about a, a member or two what I thought about this. But as a whole, 99.9% of that is his doing, and I'm excited. It looks like he's doing a good job, and it's very thoughtful and thought through. And the committee to watch will be naming and designating. Oh, that, yeah. You're going to miss we're gonna call to, We're going to call that the play popcorn a role in committee. Those I can't wait to watch uh, the fireworks in that committee. <laughs> the, the, the personalities on that are just a pure joy, and I want to encourage your listeners to – to go online and watch that one when it <laughs> tune happens. Tune in. Yes, definitely tune in. Uh, okay, it's a beautiful well, thing. We, let's jump back to your car accident. I wanted to ask you about this. So uh, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, Representative Faison was in a pretty bad car wreck this, mm-hmm. this session. It was during session. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you got up, beat up pretty bad. You, you weren't wearing your seatbelt at the time. Um, and then you came out afterwards and, and what you said, uh, you should wear your seatbelt. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just I wanted to ask Matt, you about this let, as let's, the let's libertarian that you are. Well, so, Nader moment and, here. And, right. and you know, it's funny as I did an interview with the Department of Safety, and there's a video out there, and still to this day, I think it's completely wrong and unjustified and non-constitutional for the government to tell me to wear a seatbelt. However, comma, I wear a seatbelt now because the truth is, is I rolled down I forty going about seventy miles an hour. I rolled in the air, and I luckily I'm a big dude. And my fat protected me, and, and you know, the side <laughs> airbags curtain. I ping pong on the inside of that. Truth is, I'd probably walked away with no scratch if I had a, had I been wearing a seatbelt. But it's still none of the government's responsibility. So I do wear a seatbelt now because I've physically seen what would happen if I'd have had one on. And um, yeah, that's where it's at. That's all the time we've got today. But we really appreciate you coming on, and uh, look forward to working with Blessings. you. Blessings. That's it for Grand Divisions this week. We will not be back the week of September 9th. Uh, Hope you rejoin us again on the week of September 16th. In the meantime, we are recording for another history piece uh, like the coup. So hopefully you enjoyed the last one and we look forward to sharing the the next one. As usual, this podcast is uh, produced by John Garcia and Erica Whitney. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at Grand Divisions 3. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. See you next time.